Well, thank you so much for that reading. Um, that, don't worry, it was a very long reading, but we'll get through it together as we work through the passage. Um, I just want to say it's, it's such a privilege to be back. Um, it's a privilege to be here with you, uh, to work through God's Word. Um, we just want to thank you so much for the partnership that we felt from you guys as you prayed for us, as you journeyed with us, um, as you uh, prayed for the people in North Africa. Um, the gospel needs to go out there. Uh, and we just want to, just really want to thank you so much that you journeyed with us through that. Um, and really, we, we believe strongly that it's through the prayers of his people and God's faithfulness that he carried us through um, a quite a tumultuous three years for us. Um, but before we get into this particular passage, uh, let me pray and we'll get stuck into God's word, yeah? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you are a God who is with us. And you're with us through hard times, and you're with us through the joyful times. Um, Lord, I pray that as we come before your word this morning, um, I want to thank you that you are a God who speaks to us through your word. And I pray that as we hear your word and as we walk out these doors, may you help us to not walk in, uh, not walk out um, without hearing your word and responding to it. So I pray this in your son's most precious name. Amen. Well, I am a guy who uh, likes to cook, but the problem is, is that I am really bad at baking cakes. And part of the reason is that I'm not sure if you're good at baking cakes, but I'm really bad. And part of the reason for me being, it being bad for me is that it just never looks like what I expected to. Uh, it never turns out the way I want it to. So you get the recipe, you put the flour, you put the eggs, and you put every all the you mix all the ingredients in. You put it in the oven, and you put it in the oven, and then you wait, and you're like, there's expectation that okay, this cake's gonna come out exactly how I picture it, and then it comes out, and for some strange reason, there's a hole in the middle of the cake, and I wasn't wanting a hole in the middle of the cake. And so it's just all this pent-up expectation that is not met. Uh, and it's disappointing. And getting started again just seems too hard. Uh, sometimes life can be a little bit like that, can't it? Whether that is in these last three years, and then pan- uh, we had these plans that were all laid out three years ago, and then pandemic hit. And now we've got to figure out what to do, how to restart. Maybe it's the lack of routine in pandemic life that's taken a toll. Am I meeting up with a friend or am I not? Or even other things like losing a friend or that relationship with that family member is not what it should be. It doesn't seem repairable. Or getting that diagnosis that there's not long to live. And everything in life just goes on pause. Or we lose a job. Or our degree doesn't amount to what we expect it to. Or retirement is not what it turned out to be. What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? That's the question that I want to answer today and I want to work through in Judges 6. What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? 
In Joshua 1.9, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But what if it doesn't feel like that? What what do we do if it doesn't feel like he's present with us? Well, I want to work through this particular chapter in Judges 6 to answer that question. What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? And I think there are two things in this passage for us to remember and two things for us to, us, for us to keep doing. Two things to remember and two things for us to keep doing. So what do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? But let me tell you this story of Gideon and tell you again. You see, the Israelites, they had, spent, they, they had spent seven years under this oppressive force, the Midianites, because they had done evil in the eyes of God, and so God gave them over to their enemies. But because Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites, they prepared shelters, sort of like in mountain caves, in strongholds, you know, just in case when the actual, they came, they could hide. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites invaded their country. They camped on the land and they stayed there and they didn't let anything, didn't spare any living thing in Israel. No sheep, no cattle, no donkeys, no livelihood, no consistency, loss of stability. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to God for help. Then God sent them a prophet and they said, this is what God says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the land of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Don't worship the gods of the other nations. Don't worship the people around you, what they're following, and whose land you live but you haven't listened to me. And that's the end of the first part of that story. What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? Well, the first thing is to remember that we are set apart for God. Remember that we are set apart for God. In this story that I just told you, the Israelites have spent seven years We had two, three years of pandemic. They had seven years with their economy, with their livelihoods, with their stability, with their security, ripped away at any moment of the year. But we know that the Israelites, they weren't following God. And God said, I'm just going to give you over to them. You don't want to live for me? Fine. I'll let you do your thing. The thing is that they were meant to be set apart. But they, to not follow the cultures around them, 
They were actually meant to drive them out. But instead, they became comfortable and ended up blending their culture with a culture that doesn't follow God. And I think we often fall into this danger as well, don't we? Where we let the culture of our day dictate what, how we are supposed to live and what our life is meant to look like. And I think particularly here in Australia, it's easy to forget about God because we can create an environment where we don't need God. Or he's sidelined to fit into the routines of our own day. God wants us to remember that we are set apart. That we have been bought with a price. That Jesus came and died and rose again so that we might have life. So that we might follow him and him alone. That our lives are meant to look different to the culture that is around us. I think for in Australia, we want to live the best life now. Through experiences, through the next best food adventure, or now that travel has opened up, where to next? Through getting a stable job that we can afford enjoyment and experiences, to return to pre-COVID life. To find security in a place you live or the house you own. To find a better workplace that meets all your needs. We live in a place where it's easy to not have God. Until we get a diagnosis that takes it all away. Where our stability has been rocked. Don't let the last two years of COVID drive you back to the same things that you were seeking before that were not of God. Those things are not necessarily bad. Don't hear me say that those things are bad. But when they become the ultimate thing, I think often in life what we do is we hold out our hand, we close our hand and we say, God, don't take this whether that is our stability or our, our money or our finances or our experiences. And we say, I'm going to hold this closely. I'll serve you any other way, but don't take this. And when God takes it, we get frustrated with God and we question God. God wants us to remember that we are set apart for him What are the things in your life that you're seeking comfort, security, and stability in that are not of God? What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? Well, remember that we are set apart. And second, remember that he uses us even in our weaknesses. Let me continue with this particular story. The angel of God came down and was sitting next to where Gideon was, um, and, and Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. So he's in this small little hole threshing wheat. He wants to keep it away from his enemies. When an angel of God appeared to Gideon, he, the angel of God said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What? Sorry, Lord? Gideon said, 
if God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? When did, didn't God bring us out of Egypt? But but now the Lord God has has abandoned us. He's given us over into the hands of these guys who've, who's been doing this for seven years. And God turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Aren't I sending you? What God? Gideon? What God? Like, how, how, how can I save Israel? I'm the, my clan, like, my group is the weakest in Manasseh, and, and I am, I'm the smallest, the least even in my own family. And then God answered him and he said, I, I, I'm, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. That ends that part of the story. Remember that he uses us even in our weaknesses. God uses the weak things to shame the strong. He uses our inabilities and not always our abilities. Gideon was a man from a weak tribe, and he even considered himself to be weak. But God was with him in his weaknesses. In our culture, we value people with experience, with status, with prestige. The importance of degrees, of travel, of money, of owning a house, of wealth, of what they have accomplished themselves. But in God's kingdom, who deserves the glory? Not us. Maybe it's in my weakness that God will use me instead of my abilities because he is the one that deserves the glory. You know, at one time I believed that I was accomplished. Uh, I have two degrees. I have a wealth of experience working as a therapist with people with disabilities I had an entrepreneurial spirit, eager to do things, get involved, to be practical. I had a network of people that trusted me, respected me, and would even follow me. But we left that to go to North Africa. And being Chinese-Australian, I'm not respected. I'm not wanted. I have no network. And making friends was very difficult. And often I was made to feel more like a domestic servant. Can God use me in North Africa? Well, if God uses the weak, he is on my side. I think North Africa may be the place that he wants me to be. So not through how great I am that brings people to faith, but how great he is. God uses us even in the midst of our deepest, darkest, hardest times, in the moments of our weakness. Because in those times, it's only God that we can boast in. What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? Remember that we're set apart. 
remember that he uses us even in our weaknesses. And thirdly, keep taking steps of obedience to God. The story continues. Uh, Gideon replies to the angel of the Lord that is with him. Uh, if, I found, if, 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 if you found favor in, my, uh, in your eyes for me, give me a sign that you're kind of really talking to me, God. Uh, don't go away from me until, until I come back and then I want to bring an offering and I want to set it before you. And God says, okay, I'll wait till you return. So Gideon goes inside and he prepares a young goat and then he gets about 16 kilograms of flour and he makes unleavened bread. And then he, he puts the meat in a basket uh, and it's broth in a pot and he brought them out. And he offered them to God under the tree, um, the tree of his family. And then the angel of God said, take the meat and the bread and put it on the rock and then pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the God touched the meat with, with a star, the bread um, and the bread with the tip of his staff um, that was sort of in his hand. And then fire flared up from the rock, just completely consuming the meat and the bread. And then the angel disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of God, he was like, God, sovereign Lord, I've seen the, the, I've seen the angel of God face to face. But God said to him, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon, he, he builds an altar there and then he calls it um, the Lord is peace because God said peace to him. That same night, God comes to him and he says, Take the prized bull, the second bull from your father's herd, the one probably reserved for Baal, the idol, the one that's seven years old, and tear down your father's idol to Baal and the Asherah pole standing right next to it. Then build a proper altar to God using the wood of the pole that you smashed down and offer the second burnt offering there. So Gideon takes 10 of his servants, and because he's afraid of the townspeople, and he's afraid of his father, or his family, he does it at night, instead of in the daytime. In the morning, when the townspeople come, and they, and they wake up, and they see that Baal's altar is smashed, and the Asherah pulled up beside it, cut down, and the other bull is, is on this new altar. They ask us, who did this? And they, they, they investigate it, and they find out that it's Joash's son, Gideon. And so they go to Joash, and, and, and they say, bring out your son. He, he has to die. Because he's broken down our idol. Joash, his father, um, said to the angry crowd that was around him, he said, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going to try and save Baal? I mean, whoever fights for him shall be put to death in the morning because if Baal was really a god, then he could defend himself. And so 
because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they actually gave him a new name. They gave him a new name, Jeroboam, which means let Baal contend with him. Let Baal deal with him. And that's the end of that part of the story. What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? Keep taking steps of obedience. Gideon here is afraid. That's why he goes at nighttime. And why wouldn't he be? He hasn't personally seen God at work in this way before. He's unsure. And he remained, but. And he's just. He does it at night when nobody else is looking. But he knows that when morning comes, people are going to come looking. But he remains obedient at least at this time. And he does what God asks him to do. And I think for us, we need to keep doing this as well. We need to keep taking steps of obedience, even when it may mean we face difficulties. Gideon here may be faced with his potential death for going against the culture around him and the idols his people worship. Are you going against the idols of our day? What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? Keep taking steps of obedience. And lastly, keep trusting in the promises of God and know that God is patient and gracious with us. Now, in this part of the story, all the enemies of Israel, they gather together and they cross over to the Jordan and they camp out just outside where the Israelites are. And the Spirit of God comes on Gideon. And Gideon blows a trumpet and he gets the whole of his tribe to come. And then he sends messengers out to, to all the other Israelite tribes to come and to fight. And then Gideon says to God... Um, if, if you were to save Israel by my hand as you promised, uh, look, look, what, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going I'm to place a wool fleece, um, just like a rug, you know, on the, th- on the threshing floor. And, and, and if you make the, the fleece wet and the ground dry, then I'll know that you're sending me out to defeat the Midianites. And so in the morning he wakes up, and uh, really early in the day, and he squeezes... The fleece, and it wrings out a whole bunch of water. And then Gideon goes to God again, and he goes, "Don't be angry with me, God, um, but just let me just let me just ask one more time, right? I, 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 just let me just one more test. You know, what, what, can you just please, you know, make sure that the the the, this is dry, the fleece is dry, and the ground is covered, is wet. Can you, can you do that? And then that night, God did exactly that. Only the fleece was dry, and the ground was wet. And that's the end part of that story. What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? Keep trusting in the promises of God and know that he is patient and gracious with us. But don't be like Gideon. Because here in this story, he doesn't trust 
God. He's testing God. He's already got the Spirit of the Lord who, who comes upon him. That's why he calls out his, his people to go and fight. He's, he's already had the angel come to him and say to him that, that, that you will defeat the Midianites. He knows that God is with him, but he doesn't trust it. Gideon forgot really quickly the goodness of God and the restoration, well, the, the fact that he, he, he was with him when his clan went against him. They were going to kill him. But he forgot it. And he forgot that God was present and the God who could save and the God who will defeat the Midianites. What I want to encourage us this morning is that in this story, God is patient and he's gracious to Gideon. But we shouldn't be testing God's promises as if we don't trust in his promises. We, re- we need to remember that God has called us to himself through his son Jesus to be set apart in a world that doesn't follow him, to be in it but not of it. He asks us to trust in him, to live for him, to proclaim him so that all might know we are to enjoy him, to seek him, to ask for his wisdom in our lives and to glorify him above all else. And we shouldn't stop doing this. And we should know that his promises to us in the moments of hardship and suffering is that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he'll be with us to the very end of the age, that he will guide us, and that when we face trials in this life, we have an eternal hope that will never perish, that will never spoil, that will never fade, because our trust is in Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, and we have certainty in this life and the life to come. What do we do when life is hard and we can't see God's goodness? Remember that we are set apart for him and bought with a price. Remember that he uses us even in our weaknesses to keep taking steps of of obedience to him knowing that he is with us and keep trusting in God's promises and know that God is patient and gracious with us. Our family is standing here on this side of a very difficult three years where we faced hardships and pain and suffering and many tears. Um, And there were times I honestly couldn't see God's goodness. That God would allow us to face what we did, almost to the point that I wanted to give up. But looking back, I can confidently say that in the midst of an attempted break-in into my home, the concussion of my child, racism on a daily basis, team conflict, border closures, detainment, and questioning, getting COVID, loss of a passport and no easy way to return to Australia, I can confidently say that God is good. 
And he is with us through difficult times. Sorry. What do we do when life is hard? And we can't see God's goodness? Remember that we are set apart for Christ. That he's called us to a new life in him. And to keep living that out. To remember that he uses us in our weaknesses. Keep taking steps of obedience. Knowing that he is with us through the darkest storms. And keep trusting in God's promises, remembering that he is patient and gracious with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you needing your grace needing your mercy in our life. I pray, Lord, that we would remember that you have redeemed us, have saved us, that we remember that we are set apart for you. Lord, I don't know where people are at here in this congregation right now, whether they're going through a really tough and difficult time or they're unsure about what is happening in their life. But Lord, I pray for them that you would remind them that you are with them, that you are patient, that you are gracious, and that even in their weakness that you would use them. But Lord, I also want to pray for the the congregation here if they have forgotten what it is to live for you and to remind them that you are better than anything that's in this world and that you have set them apart for your glory and for your kingdom. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep trusting you even when we can't see it. And pray this in your name. Amen.